You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry. This is episode 13. We are in the middle, actually, we're toward the end of our series on First and Second Timothy, and we are preparing for a Halloween episode on the 28th. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually, doing a Halloween episode. Um, do you do you have a costume planned yet? I might. What about you? Uh, I'm thinking about what's going to look best on radio. That is a great <laughs> line of thinking to pursue. Thank you. I'm really Thank glad you. that we are leaning into this. Yeah, yeah I think we're going to have a lot of fun on that Halloween episode. It's one that uh, people aren't going to want to miss. No, no. I think it is... Uh, I think we are predestined to have a lot of fun on that episode. Ooh, what a very Calvinist thing for you to say. <laughs> uh, if, if, if only I could come up with, uh, uh, what's, oh. what's the line? Actually, I think it's Martin Luther's line. I, I can do no other. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, now I know what my Halloween costume is going to be. I'm going to dress as John Calvin for Halloween. <laughs> yes, I'm sure everyone will recognize <laughs> Everyone without a seminary education. I mean, the thing is, we're on the radio. So, you know, I'm just, you're going to say, what is your Halloween costume? It'll be like, I'm dressed like John Calvin today. Mm -hmm. So it'll be, it'll be super easy. Super Mm -hmm. easy. Okay. So what art? (laughs) I love the way you just humored me and moved on with you. Okay. (laughs) It's been a long day for both of us. And we're recording off schedule this week because of some stuff. So... Bear with us as we get a little silly. So what uh, what heavy theological works are you reading through this week? So I'm still starting uh, Max Lucado's Anxious for Nothing to follow along with the Sunday school class at church. And I'm rereading Canoeing the Mountains. I have started and stopped uh, it a few times and I need to just get through it. Yes, you, you really need to keep paddling. Oh, well played. I see what you did there. And I know that that mm-hmm. book is a, is a favorite of yours and a lot of people are big fans of it. It, it is. It, it was one of those things where uh, I saw someone posted a picture of it on Facebook and then someone else commented on that. And I didn't realize that those two people were connected. And I was like, wow, when this many different people are reading something, people whom I respect are reading the same book. I probably need to take a look at it too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I keep having conversations with people where they're like, oh yeah, like in canoeing the mountains. And I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably get around to finishing that one. So uh, what are you reading right now? Anything new? I went out and bought a a book by Dennis Lehane. He's a crime writer uh, called The Given Day. And it's set about a hundred years ago, but I haven't started reading it yet because everything else is crazy. For that same reason, I do not have a sermon title defined yet. Oh, you're uh, taking a page out of my book. uh, Indeed, indeed. Once I get some time. What about you? What are you preaching? I'm not preaching this week. You're not preaching? I'm not preaching, no. I have a fantastic uh, seminary student who's serving as our student associate pastor this year. And uh, she'll be preaching for the first time at our congregations this coming week. So I am not preaching, but I'm still getting into the text and uh, even 
this morning talked a bit with her about where she's going with it and which passages she's using. So I'm, I'm off the hook for preaching this week. Student associate pastor. That's way more of a title than I had when I was in seminary. I know. I know. I think that titles are important in a lot of ways. And in this particular context, that really is how my seminary intern operates. They really are Mm. an associate in a lot of different ways. And I feel like that kind of titling is also good for the congregation and, you know, they can kind of see that um, we do have ways to have functioning, highly functioning staff, even if we can't afford to have a traditional associate. We can have a student pastor who's doing pastoral call visits by themselves and, and preaching mm-hmm. and, and leading worship and all of those things. And so I think it's maybe a more honest title to the way that a st- seminary student functions in a small congregation. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I can tell you that the last few days have been utterly insane for me, and the next few promise to also be insane. I am currently, depending on the grace of my session for permitting me some unscheduled time out of the office as I go visit some family members who are very, very sick, and um, I, I, I had a fraternity brother, a real close friend from college, died last week, so there was a funeral there, and um, it was just one of those weeks in ministry where you go through all the functions. It was a bipolar week in ministry. I had a baptism and a funeral on the same day, and I officiated both. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, um, this calling you know i you could call it a job but it's different than that uh functions very differently it can really be like you said it can feel bipolar you feel a little like you're losing it at the end of some days like you're being unraveled because you're just switching hats so dramatically um so with me not preaching this week people sometimes expect that i'm more available or extra free from normal (laughs) you know i'm not really doing anything this week because i'm not preparing Mm. a sermon and getting ready to preach i have a friend who uh jokes and i I think he listens to this podcast and so you know who you are friend uh who jokes about how i only work one day a week (laughs) um and it's a close enough friend to know that that's definitely not the case but um yeah, there's this feeling that it's all about the preaching, but there's so many other aspects to this job. You know, today, even though I'm not preaching this week, I was helping lead a functional fitness class for older adults and meeting with the seminary student about the week ahead and um, premarital counseling with a couple who's getting married soon. And so there's just all these varied aspects of the job. Yeah, it is. And and while... I enjoy the work and generally I think I'm good at not letting it overtake me and building boundaries to separate the personal life from the professional life. There are some weeks when it just becomes emotionally draining. And this is one of those weeks where the personal life kind of bleeds into the work life. And what I thought would be a, a more or less standard week in ministry just spiraled out of control. Yeah. Um, 
how do you yourself deal with those weeks? Like, how do you recover from them? And how do you get how do you get through them first? And then how do you recoup later? Yeah, I guess that oh, you yeah. got to get I'll, through it. First. I'll let you know. That, I'll let you know after I get through it. Yeah. Um, I compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was perfectly effective at compartmentalizing during the baptism and being fully present in that and the joy that everyone felt that day. Um, and then moving on to a funeral for someone who died far too young. Um, how do I deal with that? Uh, I, I usually just focus on the next task. I had a very, I have a very good friend who told me one time when I was having a crisis in ministry, she said, when you are feeling like nothing that you can do is enough, when you feel like this is completely out of control and it's about to eat you alive, just do the next right thing. Hmm. Pick something that you know you have to do where you know it's the right thing to do. Focus on that and do it. And then when it's done, find the next right thing. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, and it's important to find that balance of practicing self-care in the midst of doing the next right thing. But mm-hmm. sometimes that's the way you have to get through. Generally, yes. yeah, generally speaking, you know, compartmentalizing is not a real healthy way to move around in the world. But as clergy, we have to do that in certain situations. And know that when we're you know we that we're planning ahead and once we get through Sunday we're gonna see our therapist or a spiritual counselor or um you know someone one of our safe people on Monday our, work, our workout partner right our fitness coach something. exactly yeah yeah that, that's that's totally it and and there are gonna be times when uh when something blows up and you only have time to do the work for a short period of time. And that just increases the need to practice good self-care once you get beyond those initial crisis phases when all you can do is focus on the work. Yeah. And it sounds like we're going off into the weeds a little bit and getting out onto a tangent. And we, we don't normally do the whole check-in thing at the beginning of the podcast. But this actually is relevant to where we're launching in with the scripture this week. The um, I am not preaching this week, but if I were preaching this week, I would probably stick with the Luke passage again. Thank you for the proper usage of the subjunctive there. Anytime. I'm glad to help. I was just helping my uh, 11-year-old with his grammar homework. So that uh, <laughs> I'm, I am in that. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised you didn't start singing about the sub- subjunctive case from like Schoolhouse Rocks or something. No, that's conjunctions. The subjunctive voice is not in Schoolhouse Rock. Okay, well, I don't have the entire canon of Schoolhouse Rock memorized, as you clearly do, my friend. <laughs> I'm a little bit just just pick the next right thing and do it. If you're, if you're not preaching, you can be watching Schoolhouse Rock. Videos. Oh, okay, I see, I see, got it. Uh, yeah. So with that in mind, 
<laughs> and because I'm only working one day this week and have nothing better to do since I'm not preaching, <laughs> you know, I could plan for Advent or I could watch Schoolhouse Rocks, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to point out that part of that is simply because I'm I'm a bit younger than you. Yeah, and you were, so Schoolhouse it was borderline Rock was for me. still alive and well when you were watching cartoons <laughs> on a Saturday morning. Don't give me that. I mean, I had to get the dig in somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So, what what passage are you using as your supporting text? So I, I'm going to be using the uh, the reading from the Gospel of Luke and also the the Second Timothy. Um, I think that the Luke and the Timothy are very harmonious with one another, very congruent with one another. So that's where I'm heading. And that would be why I would use the Luke passage as well. Um, In addition to the fact that I actually really like this parable. I know some people don't because it almost makes God look like a jerk. jerk. Yeah. God kind of comes off looking like an asshat in this pit. If you, if you, interpret it in a way that each person in a parable must relate to somebody and one of those has to be God. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. No, nor I. And, uh, and I really like what, what I, what I think Jesus is saying here. Um, so let me read this passage then and we'll, we'll go from there. It's Luke 18, one through eight. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. Or will he find faith on earth? Sorry, I got those words inverted. You're correct. Will he find faith on earth? (laughs) So if I wanted to preach politics from the pulpit, boy, this would be a great text. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for the people. Hmm. Yeah. Better not go there. I would would steer clear of that one, friend. Um, You can get yourself into a lot of hot water. Um, You don't say. Yeah. The Bible is hard to be careful with. Uh... So if you were preaching, you would choose this one. I would. Tell me more about that. I would, though, because, you you know, you've got this. This is taken a couple ways that I, I don't think are faithful to the text. The first is that it is, you know, God is this judge and we just need to pester God with our prayers. And that'll get God to change God's mind. But that's not really what prayer is for also that's sort of not reading the entire passage yeah and that also makes god come off as not a great person 
Uh, only if you don't read the entire only passage. if you don't read the entire passage right because if you continue it says look even if this unjust judge will listen to someone god surely will mm-hmm. uh, but you still have this focus on the prayer petition itself and not did you just say god is named shirley i did not and i know that's your favorite <laughs> joke and i fall into it every time and now I've lost my train of thought. See, this is why we don't record in the evening, generally speaking, because my mind goes to garbage at like 2.30 p.m. When I was in seminary, there was a notion put forward that you can petition the Lord with prayer. Petition the Lord with prayer. <laughs> petition. Sorry, now, I, now I'm riffing on Jim Morris. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, oh, dear listeners. <laughs> We're squirrely today. Sorry. I like to focus on the idea of justice in this passage and how sometimes we demand justice. We speak out for justice. We uh, ask for justice and it is granted. But the human grantors of that justice have not always had a change of heart. Whereas Mm -hmm. God's justice is truly just. Yeah, I mean, this is this is of of all the parables of Jesus. This is like the most parabolic he gets. Yeah. You know, in 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 the of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. Right. Right. Um, You know, nowhere in the parable is justice defined. We do not know what the widow's issue was. The point only is that she is asking for justice that the judge could grant, and he finally does. Yeah, and the the Greek word used here for justice is not um, not the usual term used for justice. It's actually a little closer to vengeance. Mm. Which which adds another interesting layer to this in, entire passage um, and connecting it with some of the other passages this week. Yeah, actually, if you wanted to go back to the poor reading, vengeance might help to enhance that poor, to buttress that poor reading, because vengeance belongs only to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, and that's a great point, too, that the justice is not defined specifically in this. So um, if you hear the word justice and you immediately think about immigration or race or LGBTQ rights or anything else that's going to get fires lit under butts, this passage you can't use to support or deny any of those ideas, (laughs) but rather it's the idea that sometimes we speak up for what is right and... We get what we want, but that doesn't mean that the the people granting it want that as well. So I will also be reading and preaching on the reading from Second Timothy, chapter three, verses verse fourteen through chapter four, verse five. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings 
that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. There is a lot going on in this passage. Boy, isn't Ooh. there. Um, for starters, I preached an installation this past Sunday, and golly, do I wish this passage had come up in the lectionary for that, because that would have been a no-brainer. Uh, mm. Would have been right up there with when uh, the James passage about not everyone should be a teacher came up the <laughs> Sunday of your installation when I got to preach. <laughs> this would be a great, a great ordination or installation passage. So I'm... Um, I'm a little bit peeved that it wasn't like a week sooner. Um, but this is a passage that often gets used to justify biblical literalism. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that every single word of scripture is flawless and comes straight from the mouth of God, perfectly syllable for syllable. Right. And um it, yeah, interesting point here. Uh, Second Timothy was written long before Scripture was canonized, and you know, long, some long before anyone had established the text. Right. So there were pieces of what we have now as Bible that were kind of floating around as good things to read, but they had not been described as Scripture yet. And certainly this letter of 2 Timothy had not been described as scripture yet when it was written. That would be a weird thing to do for starters if you're writing a letter. Right. And taking that a couple of steps further, there could well be writings in circulation at that point that were later cut free from the canon, that were deemed heretical, that were deemed outside proper Christian doctrine. Right. And, you know, we've got all these different layers of things that happened, too, when, when Scripture was canonized. And if you want to dig into this deeper, friends, I'm going to refer you back again to Rob Bell's What is the Bible? I think that's a good, accessible uh, look into this kind of stuff. But long story short, when Scripture was finally canonized or put together in the way that we have the Bible now, there were pieces that were deemed to be ambiguous or okay, but not quite scripture. And that's where we get the Apocrypha. 
which is something that Protestants don't tend to use very often, but um, those of, of Catholic faith do. And then you have something called the pseudepigrapha. Do not worry, friends. There's not going to be a pop quiz on this later. You don't have to remember the word pseudepigrapha, but that's the stuff we're like, this is vaguely Christian, but probably shouldn't stick around in the Bible. Yeah, I, I know what those words mean, and I'm zoning out. Let's get yeah. back to <laughs> so, the texts. Yeah, so anyway, my where, point... Where do you see the connections between the two texts? Yeah, right. So, so yeah, my point is biblical literalism, not the point of this text, right? Um, so I'm, I'm seeing this idea of persistence in our pursuit of the kingdom of God and the idea of, of justice and what is right in the world. Talk to me more about that idea of justice and the kingdom of God. Well, we we have, you know, we're talking about um, Christ coming to judge the living and the dead in the view of his appearing and his kingdom. And so in the view of this kingdom, we are urged to proclaim the message and be persistent, whether it's good times or bad times, have patience in our teaching. And we see the same idea of persistence in the pursuit of justice or the pursuit of God's kingdom in the widow who continues to, to speak out for what is right, according to, to her faith. So we've, we've got persistence in the pursuit of justice, but we haven't really defined justice yet, have we? No, we haven't, but I would love to let you have a crack at that. <laughs> Okay, so justice is going to be that place wherein we perfectly or nearly perfectly practice agape love, that is, God's love for all of creation. We achieve justice when all of our actions show love for the other in the same way that God loves us, when we are actively loving one another in all we do, in the laws that we create, in the structures of government and commerce, and uh, just our daily interactions and lives, when all of those are characterized by God's agape love, then we've achieved it. And that is what the kingdom of God looks like to me. Gosh, that sounds an awful lot like this podcast I listened to recently on the Ten Commandments. Hmm. If only I had a link for Gosh, that. Gosh, uh, yeah, that sounds like it would be a great listen. <laughs> hey, I am nothing if not consistent. So, so I think what I hear you saying then is this comes back to the, the shape of God's community and the way that we treat one another. It does, and I think the the persistence is our persistence in the face of a world that tells us this is not possible. Give it up. You're working for something that you will never, ever achieve. I know that uh, a couple of years ago you spent some time in South Africa, and that is a place, there are many, many places that have experienced some sort of um, major disruption in human connection to one another and in the ways that we treat one another. And I'm wondering if you could maybe speak a little bit to how that experience 
falls into this, what we're talking about right now. Sure, sure. Um, so I had the privilege to go on a mission trip to South Africa and the Kingdom of Lesotho about five years ago. And so we're talking 20 years post-apartheid. And it was just amazing how similar the racial climate was there to here. Uh, the, the utter lack of reconciliation between black and white South Africans. And I, I encountered among many of the white South Africans that I met, this attitude of, well, they've, they've been free from apartheid for 20 years. Why haven't they caught up? And it, it just, it boggled my mind. It's like you, you expect that in a single generation, just because the laws have changed, that all of a sudden people who have never fully participated in the educational system will instantly go to full and equal participation in education or in business or basically in anything other than athletics. And from an outside perspective, it just seemed ridiculous. But that was the legacy, that even 20 years after the fact, they, people still were not interfacing with one another across those racial lines. Yeah, and our country is probably great evidence of the fact that it, it takes far more than 20 years. We've been fighting this fight for quite some time, and we still haven't overcome it. Um, this is one of the reasons that I think it's so important to travel when you have the opportunity to get to different places and even to go to difficult places because it puts our own context into a whole new perspective. Um, and this idea of systematic trauma, systematic injustice, um, trauma that lasts for generations uh, I saw in Rwanda this past spring where I spent some time with Presbyterian Peacemaking um, looking at 25 years after the genocide, what have they done for reconciliation there? And in Rwanda, I would argue that they have made faster progress toward reconciliation than anywhere else I can think of because in 25 years they've made such great strides and it's still there's still a lot of struggles there there's still a lot of of overcoming to be done and there's still a lot of open wounds I would think absolutely I mean anyone you know our age even with you know 10 years younger than us or older remembers vividly what happened. Um, so it's not even, you're not even to that point where you've got a generation who just didn't have the access to education in quite the same ways yet. You've got people who are actively seeing what was happening or participating in what was happening. And this is something you and I have mm -hmm. both seen in Israel and Palestine as well, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, vi visit a refugee camp there and, you will definitely see the um, the after effects of generational trauma. You you will see people who are uh, still dealing with 
the baggage that's been handed down from 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. And... And this does all connect. It sounds like we're jumping around a little bit, but we've got this this widow in Luke who is demanding justice and this judge who's granting it even though he hasn't been necessarily changed deep down in his heart, right? We look mm-hmm. into Timothy where it talks about the importance of instructing the next generation in how to live. And so we go back to this idea of education of the next generation and helping um, those who are coming up behind us understand the importance of God's justice, God's kingdom, God's shalom. If we don't do it, bad doctrine and bad teaching will fill the void. Mm -hmm. And the unpleasant things that were done by people from our own tribe will, uh, to paraphrase George Orwell, will fall down the memory hole. Exactly. And if we look at this Jeremiah text that neither of us uh, brought up as our supporting text that we would use or are using this week, we see this idea of, of generational sin or trauma or brokenness or however you want to describe that. Uh, we see that come into play as well. Jeremiah 31, 27 through 34 The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy and bring evil, so I will watch them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on age, but all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. In other words, there comes a day in God's kingdom when no longer do the things that are broken in this generation affect the next. Yeah, I think that is a very hopeful text and Again, this is one of those Sundays where I wish I could preach on all the texts. That would be a long sermon. That would be a long sermon. So I I, I don't wish it that much, but uh, it's one of those Sundays where if we hadn't decided to do a series on 1st and 2nd Timothy, I might very well have opted for one or two of the other readings. The good news of the lectionary is, and I don't find myself saying that phrase often, but (laughs) the good news of the lectionary is that in three years from now, you'll have that opportunity. The texts of the father shall be visited (laughs) on the ears of the children. (laughs) I think we're starting to uh, unravel. Get a little punchy. We started off punchy and it's just going downhill from there. So let's wrap this back up. Let's bring this back around to where we started. I promised that we weren't completely out in the weeds in our check-in time when we talked about how difficult ministry is and how how draining it can be. Um, how does this, this uh, perseverance of justice and living out God's shalom and kingdom, how does that affect the way that we look at that that calling and that even in those hard times where... We've got funerals and baptisms on the same day. I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Oh, my Lord. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wrapping things <clears throat> back around. We started Wrapping off. Wrapping things back <laughs> around. We started off talking about uh, talking about some of the challenges, some of the stumbling blocks that we face. And so clearly perseverance is getting through the things that pop up, the things that are in the way of us doing our job and living into our calling. Um, in the short term, it looks like pushing a session meeting back one week because I need to be in St. Louis on the Tuesday of the session meeting. And uh, it looks like me asking my session for grace so that I can go and be with my family in ways that they need at the times that they need it, yet also still keep an eye focused on the work of the congregation and uh, to be there for those public aspects of ministry, such as preaching next Sunday, even if I'm going to be out of the office every day this week. Yeah, it's never promised that this calling is going to be easy. Um, even for those of you who aren't clergy out there, this Christian calling is not easy. There are times it's going to be hard. There are times it's going to feel weird. And there are times where you're going to feel like all you do is harp and act like the squeaky wheel, right? Trying to stand up for God's justice in the world. There's going to be times when you feel like um, you're just not heard. And in those times, we are called to continue and to persist and to continue seeking God's shalom. For those of us who are clergy, that often looks like um, preaching a word of hope at a funeral, even when it's very difficult, right? Um, that might mean uh, continuing to uh, insist that that God's work and God's justice and God's kingdom be done here on earth. I think I lost you. You did lose me because I, I had a bit of inspiration there and wanted to start typing before I lost what I was thinking. I Yeah. So we're talking in this section on First and Second Timothy about identity. And this really plays into our identity as, as Christians and, and the way that we interact with the world and seek justice and remembering that the, the, our actions today affect those for generations to come, be that the generational sin or the generational teaching that lasts for a very long time. Um, and also, did you, did you know, Alan, that this is Pastor Appreciation Month? The powers that be have deemed it so. Yes, I, I really wonder who those powers are. I have no freaking clue. <laughs> but 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 those powers uh, compelled some of my folks to prepare a cake for me for coffee hour this past Sunday. So, um, yes, I am aware that it is Pastor Appreciation Month. I I, I don't. I don't know. I get paid for this, you know. I it's it's nice, but really, why a whole month? 
I don't know. We work really hard. I would at this point generally jokingly and lovingly and kindly tease my congregation that they haven't done anything for Pastor Appreciation Month yet this October. But we did just have that huge celebration at my installation that I think uh, fully yes. showed their appreciation and gave me an opportunity to express my appreciation for them. So I will let you guys off of that gentle teasing hook for today on that. Um, but I think that one thing that's nice about that is just a reminder to everyone that this is a weird job. It's strange, right? We do stuff like go down into flooded basements to find out why it's only 40 degrees in the building and we chase bats out of Sunday school rooms and <laughs> right we had a squirrel right, run into right, the right. church in the middle of a fitness class today just straight up ran into the building and freaked everybody out right we do stuff like chase squirrels out of buildings how, how appropriate for you are you calling me squirrely <laughs> you wouldn't be the first I wouldn't be the first it would uh yes Yes, it would uh, have something to do with one of your blogs. Yeah, yeah, I used to have a blog called The Squirrel Factor. Um, That's a story for another day. Yeah. So um, speaking of of phoning it in and not always being able to give our full attention to any particular thing. um, I'm sorry, what was that? Thanks, yeah. Um, Well played, well played. Our practice for the week is to observe Pastor Appreciation Month. Actually, I've got a better answer for that. Oh, we already talked about this. We did already (laughs) talk about this, but, uh, you know, this is why I sometimes pause to write things down. So uh, let's say um, here's a way to practice Pastor Appreciation. All right, I can go with this. Bring it on. Ask your pastor about his or her life. Ask your pastor about some of the challenges Hmm. in ministry. Ask for stories for times when it was difficult or demanding or emotionally taxing, emotionally draining. There was a time, uh, fortunately for you and I, this is before either of us were in ministry, But there was a time when congregations expected perfection out of their pastor. And the pastor was this sort of, had this almost mythical status as being above everyone and holier than everyone. And I think that that, the idea that pastors were somehow supposed to be immune to all of the crap that goes on in life probably fit in with the way we did church 50, 60 years ago, but it was never a livable model of pastoral ministry. And I wonder if, if that is also part of the decline of the institutional church is that there were just so many layers of unrealistic expectations um we are all broken and the church at at its best is a bunch of broken people coming together and admitting their brokenness and i know that i am probably ripping off nadia bolts weber there but you would um, never 
I would well obviously I didn't if I name checked her after saying it. Well done. <laughs> uh, but channeling Nadia Boltzweber and other writers like her, uh, that, that that would also be a very Rachel Held Evans kind of thing to say. Um, we lost that idea, and we thought uh, that church was a place for perfect people with perfect lives to just get a little more strength to go back out into the world and lead those perfect lives, which don't actually exist. Yeah. So I think humanizing your pastor is a good way to appreciate your pastor and to learn more about his or her life. If your pastor wants to share those details uh, is probably going to help deepen your relationship with your pastor and help you understand more about the challenges and blessings of ministry. Well, I was just going to say, buy your pastor a beer, but sure, your idea sounds more spiritual. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of spirit. Yeah, (laughs) well played. Well played. No, I like that idea. And there are going to be lots of people who can't actually buy a beer. Fair enough. So you're right. I I like that idea of humanizing your pastor and, and getting to know what some of the the obstacles and the challenges are. And then I would encourage you who are clergy to engage some of your congregants in um, in conversations about what do they find the most difficult about living out Christian calling in a non vocational ministry setting because we get so wrapped up in like obviously we're all living out this christian calling in every aspect of our being because we're the professional christians but pastors i challenge you then to turn around and talk to your congregation about what it looks like to be christians in a world that doesn't give a rat's ass about the church yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I like that. Thanks. I do what I can. Every once in a while, I <laughs> have a great idea. We're unraveling today we quickly. Are. Per, per, shall, shall I pray I us would, out? I would love it if you would pray us out and offer us a blessing. Okay. God of grace and mercy, give us heart. Give us heart when our world is ebbing away and nothing we do feels like it's enough to heal your broken world. Help us to see the path before us, to remember our calling, and to carry on in faith and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body, May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Amen. Friends, may you have a blessed week as you go on and move about in the world. Remember that if you have questions or comments or costume suggestions for our special Halloween episode coming up in two weeks, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and show note links and more at www.softidolatry.com. Mm-hmm.